Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 1. This is going to be both a challenge uh, focused on you, Chris, uh, and the call to ministry, which I would agree that it is clear that God has called you to the ministry. You, if you were to be cut, I'm sure you'd be bleeding the gospel. Um, but also, this is also a, um, it's a charge for the rest of the church. Um, this letter was written by Paul, I'm sorry, by Peter, and he wrote it on his uh, last days on the earth. And he's really challenging the elders, the pastors of the church that he was getting ready to leave behind. But he's also uh, challenging uh, the rest of the body of Christ at the same time. So this passage is well fit uh, for the occasion. And God has a message for you um, this, this evening. And he burdened my heart for it. So I'm just the messenger boy. And I'm glad to be here. So let's, let's read the passage and then we'll, we'll pray and uh, dig into it. We'll begin reading in chapter 1, verse number 1. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is an incredible, incredibly dense but powerful passage of Scripture. And I have to kind of draw up in our imagination that Peter is getting ready to lay his life down um, for the sake of the gospel. And so this is a very important message. It's almost like the last words that Peter has and the last charge that he could give to the pastors and to the church. That's what we're reading this evening. So let's pray, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the full weight of this text. Lord, We thank you so much for how you have called Chris into the ministry. As he said so uh, clearly, this is not something that he naturally aspired to to be involved in, but God, he has noticed that you are the one who called him to this. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that you are calling both him into the mission, that you've basically to to, to advance the gospel, but also that you're calling the church to, to engage in mission, to live our lives for the sake of the gospel as well. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just answer our prayers and that you would allow us to to feel and to grow in our understanding of what Peter is saying. And may we leave here different because of what you teach us. I pray that you will stir our affections for you afresh and anew. And Lord, thank you that you are our God, the one who's rescued us from our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, as I said earlier, this passage is very, very focused in on uh, a very common theme. And I want you to probably notice it as we kept reading. There's this repetitive statement that Peter is making. And he kept saying, grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus. So this whole passage has everything to do with this word knowledge. And I don't want you to be misled because I want you to understand clearly this, this idea of growing in the knowledge does not mean just growing in our understanding of the Bible. The actual word means to grow in your experiential awareness of Jesus. 
Experiential awareness of Jesus is what the, the Greek word is trying to communicate. And so Peter's very focused. He's saying you need to grow. Climb deeper, climb higher into your experience and your awareness of how awesome Jesus is. And then when you do that, amazing things are going to happen. And that's what this passage is all about. So to help me illustrate this, how many of you all like to go for hikes? Anybody like to go on the hikes in the mountains or anything? Anybody ever been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and hiked up the Smoky Mountains? Anybody ever done that before? All right, that is an adventure. Um, I have a picture here that I want to show you. Uh, recently, a friend of mine uh, and I decided to take a hike up into the Smoky Mountains. Every year in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the, the church sends the students, the high school students and the junior high students to uh, what we call Teen Revolution. It's a great opportunity for the students to kind of unplug and grow in their relationship with the Lord. Um, it's an awesome experience. But one time recently, I went up to the uh, Smoky Mountains. And if I were to tell you that um, I have Uh, I I know about the Smokies. I mean, I know about the Smokies. You might even say the same thing. You know about the Smokies. But there's something different to be understood when you say, I I have been in the Smokies. I, I know about it because I've been inside or in the mountains myself. And I would say the same thing. There's a difference here. Um, recently, I was hiking, and uh, we decided to go up this one mountaintop, and it was called the Jump Off Ledge. And I was like, you know, that's kind of a cool name. What do you think this is about? My friend had a little book. He's like a little nerd. And he had a little book, and it said, well, it says here that it's about 9.6 miles up the hike, and we go to the top, and then we can see everything like you've never seen before. I was like, 9.6 miles? That's a long way. Now, I mean, I'm in shape, but that's a long hike. He said, well, it's round trip. So I said, okay, well, let's go. So we started hiking up this mountain, and uh, I, you know, it was, a cool, it was a really neat experience. As you hike, there's some things you, um, you smell things in the mountains. Uh, there's a smell to it. Um, if you've ever been on a hike before in the mountains, in the Smokies, um, it doesn't sound like smoke, you know, it's Smokies, some people smoking up there. No, it's, uh, it's named for the, the clouds coming off of the thing. It looks like smoke coming off the cloud. But when you smell the hike and the, and the atmosphere around you, you smell the pine trees. I mean, you're barely getting into the mountains and you're smelling these pine trees and then you start climbing higher and your legs are burning and your tushy's getting hot, you know, because your legs are on fire and you're just climbing this thing and you're sweating and next thing you know, you're, you're start, you start really getting a better, a more full experience of the Smokies. You're not just smelling it, you're experiencing it. And then the, by the time you get to the top, you're hungry, you know, you're, you're just hungry, you're, you're wanting to eat. So there's a, there's a smelling, there's a, 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 a feeling, there's a an ambiance of the mountains when you're climbing the Smokies. And I would say this, when you get to the top of where we went, um, when we first started out on the climb, it was cool. You know, it's kind of damp, it's wet, you know, you're climbing up this thing and it's, you're like, oh, it's a long way. But the higher you climbed in the hike, the greater the experience became. Because you no sooner turned a corner and you're getting this, this amazing shot, an amazing view of, of the clouds. And the higher you climbed, the the more amazing it became. So when we got to the top of the mountain, we were literally awestruck that you're gonna think I'm crazy, but the only thing we could do, because we were higher than the clouds at that point, we were at the highest altitude that any trail can go on in the Smokies. It was amazing. But we had to climb this mountain to get there. We were above the clouds, and every now and then the clouds would break and the wind would come up in your face, and I'm feeling this, and I was awestruck by what I saw. My experience, my awareness, my knowledge of the Smokies became drastically different than when I just look at the picture and say, 
yeah, I, I know about the Smokies. That's exactly what Peter's telling us in this text. He's saying, there's an awareness of Jesus, church. There's an awareness of Jesus, pastors, that you've got to climb into. You need to grow in this awareness of Jesus. Now, with that said, he begins to lay out two reasons why in our passage. And then he says one last thing, and he explains how you can experience or how you ought to increase in the awareness of Jesus. So let's, let's break it down. I want to kind of slow it down for us, and I want to have fun with it. I like having fun in church. Amen? All right, let's do this. All right, let's read chapter or verse number two together. Um, the first thing I want to point out to you, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the first thing I want to show you about why we need to increase in our awareness of Jesus is because Peter specifically says that grace and peace are going to be multiplied in your life. So Peter is saying there's something to be experienced here because grace and peace is going to multiply. Now, it's pretty interesting he chose the word multiply because he didn't say add. Grace and peace is going to be added to your life. He's using an intentional superlative. He's saying there's something going to be, it's going to be a far greater measure than you currently have in your life. It's like you're climbing the mountain and you're at the beginning of the hike and you're thinking, oh, this is really nice. Now, let me say this. When I think of climbing a mountain in a spiritual proverbial way, okay, I'm not talking about how long you've been saved, I'm asking, I want you to think with me. The, the, the church at this time has been around for a little while. And Peter's saying, there, some of you guys have just started the hike. Not just being, you didn't just get saved, but you're, you're just at the first phase of your life and your experience of Jesus. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is grow in it. Because when you grow in your awareness of Jesus, you're going to experience greater depths and wonder in your experience of God's grace and peace. So what does he mean by grace and peace? So let's, let's, I'm going to show you this. This is the first thing. I want you to n- note this down too. Every time you see the word grace in scripture, or in particular in the book of Acts as well as in the Pauline epistles, you'll always know that this, this word grace usually appears with a supernatural outpouring of God's power in a believer's life. So for instance, in the New Testament, um, in, in the book of Acts, Chapter 4, you've, it's a very common passage of scripture. The Bible says, and I'll read it to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. You can write this reference down next to this if you'd like. Um, it says that, and with great power, the apostles were given their testimony. They were sharing the gospel about Jesus Christ to the resurrection of the Lord of Jesus. And it says, and great grace was upon them all. Grace is synonymous with power. It's always the case in the New Testament. So Peter is saying there is some supernatural power that God wants to expose you to. Now, I'm not talking about like a, you know, a charismatic movement outbreaking with the tongues and all that. I'm not talking about, that's not the kind of power he's talking about. He's talking about something that God has, he has vision for you to experience and has everything to do with the gospel. Now, I'll say this a little bit further. Well, every time you see the word great grace in the New Testament, it's very similar to the phrase favor in the Old Testament. You know, we have uh, David found favor in the eyes of God. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. It's almost this idea of you're capturing God's attention in a very unusual way when you are growing in the awareness of Jesus. God's kind of, he's saying, you know, there's something about you. You really believe me. 
You really believe that I'm going to do something with your life. You really believe that this Bible, my word, is true. How many of y'all are like that? When you read the Bible and pastor's up here preaching and he's ripping on something and he's just having fun with it and all of a sudden you're like, yes, yes, I want that. I want to experience it. How many of you are like that? Say amen. amen. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. All right, so there's this stirring here. There's this, oh man, I, I want to experience. What Peter is saying to us, God will give you great power but the, a lot of times people get this mixed up. They think, oh, yes, I want great power in my life. I want power to, to uh, overcome my fear or I want power to overcome my drug addiction. That's not the kind of power that he's talking about here. The power that he was referencing was the outpouring of God's power for the sake of the gospel. God will give you unusual anointing so that you can clearly and passionately and on an unusual way clearly communicate the gospel, the explicit gospel, so that people can understand who Jesus is. And that can only happen when you're growing in grace. See, I think in a lot of times in our modern Christian, Christian movement, we go to the Christian bookstore and there's all these self-help books on, oh, you can have great power in prayer, great power in this, and great power in that. But you know what I think it comes down to? God gives you great power to do what he's most passionate about, is rescuing broken people. God, here's a, there, is a, there is something mysterious about God's power in our lives. When we're doing what he's passionate about, which is getting the gospel, living a missional life. And that's, that's why God called you. That's why God called you into the ministry because he's gonna use you, Chris, to do something amazing. But no matter, by the way, I'll say this too. When he talked about great grace and talking about grace and peace being multiplied, everything is in the passive tense. I'm saying that to you because you know what I'm talking about. And it means you can't do diddly squat, diddly squat to get more grace and more peace in your life. You think, oh, I'll pray harder. I'll pray longer. I'll even fast. And I'm a Baptist. I'm gonna go no, come on, us Baptists, we know what that, you could fast all day long, but at the end of the day, you may not have peace. That's not what brings you peace. You can't earn peace. You can't work for peace. And what he's saying here is, you increase in your awareness of Jesus and great power will be given to you. And that's important for the ministry. And it's important for our lives. Um, you can't have God's favor on your life by working harder or by praying more. It comes by increasing in the knowledge of Jesus, increasing the experience of Jesus. Now, that's a little bit, let me, let me share this too. Landon recently, my, my son and my, all our kids, the Catronio babies, were in the living room and uh, we were, I was just getting ready to go to bed and I had them all and we said, I said, guys, tell me one thing that we can pray for um, that's, that you want Jesus to do in your life. And Addie says, well, pray that I can make some friends in Chicago, which is important right now. And then, um, and then I said, okay, Landon, what would you like prayer for? And he says, pray that God gives me superpower. I want to have superpower, Daddy. And I, I chuckled, I laughed, and um, I said, okay, okay. But, you know, I started thinking about that, and I really, I think that's awesome. Because my son realizes that he doesn't have what it takes to live the life that he wants to live. He doesn't have what it takes. And I know it's kind of a fairy tale thing, you think, oh, Captain America, but how awesome of a lesson is that for us? When you realize that you don't have what it takes to live this Christian life or to experience all that God has for us in this life, you don't have what it takes. But, but what's gonna happen is you, you know that you need Jesus' power and, and you, need, you, you need something supernatural to happen in you and through you. What happens is God is gonna show up and he's gonna multiply 
not just add a little bit of power to your life. No, he's going to multiply. You're going to see God do abundantly more, like your verse you just read in Ephesians chapter 3. That's going to happen in your life when we determine to live in increasing in the knowledge of God. It's good. All right, let's talk about this peace thing. He mentioned peace as well. Um, this, is not unsur- this is not surprising. Um, we will need peace. And I'll say this, you're going to need a lot of peace, my friend, working with these two brothers here um, in your life. So partnering in ministry, you'll need peace in that. But um, no, Peter uh, saw firsthand God's peace at work. You know, when he was in the boat, remember this? Boat, he was in the boat during the storm. Jesus produced a powerful work of peace when Peter remembered that Jesus was in the boat. You know how the whole thing happened? Peter all of a sudden was aware, oh, wait, wait, Jesus is in the boat. Let's go get Jesus. And what did he do? He walked up to the top of the boat and he said, peace. He spoke it. Now that's a little bit of a window of how we experience peace when Jesus spoke peace into the waters. But I'll get there in a minute. I just want to say this. Jesus, he's in the boat. And if he's in the boat, he's called you to the ministry. He didn't bring you here. And by the way, your ministry may not always be here at Fellowship Baptist Church. And just because it may not be, and I'm learning this now, um, this is home. This is family. This is a very special place. But I'll say this in addition. When God, if God does choose to call you out, that means Jesus is going to go with you. He's going to go with you. And I don't mean, I don't know, hopefully he's, hopefully he's staying here, folks. He's a good guy. I'm not saying, oh, no, here's another one leaving us. No. Um, but here's the thing. I just want to say this. Not just for Chris. Some of you all are in the storm. Some of you all are in the storm and you feel that. But God will multiply peace in your life when you, become, when you increase in the awareness of Jesus. He's still here. He hasn't left me. It's critical. And it has nothing to do, by the way, you realize you can't kick Jesus out of the water? I mean, out of the boat. You think you're going to go down there and say, I don't want you in my boat anymore, Jesus. Get up out of here. You can't just throw Jesus out. No, he, he owns the boat. <laughs> he's, he's not. So I'll say that to say, you can't sin Jesus out of your life. If you're a believer, you can't sin him out of your life. So that's a critical thing for you to understand because peace is not dictated based on who you are. It's based on who Jesus is and has everything to do with you being aware that he's in the boat. So Peter experienced that firsthand. I just wanted to share that with you. Now, let's talk about the second thing I want to show you from this text. The second reason why we need to increase in the, in the awareness of Jesus that Peter mentions. He says, because it will produce life and godliness. Once again, this is that passive tense. It's something that you cannot earn, you cannot do. But Peter specifically mentions that it's going to produce life and godliness. Listen to verse 3. According as his divine power has given, okay, that's the receiving part, he's giving us all things. Oh, that's a good phrase. He's given us all the things that are necessary that pertain to the life and godliness. Let me pause here. Whose life and whose godliness is he talking about in this passage? He's talking about your life? He's talking about your godliness? No, no, no. He's saying all the things that are necessary for you to live Jesus' life through your life and Jesus' godliness through your life are found when you grow and increase in the knowledge of Jesus. So basically what he's saying here is if you are climbing this mountain, okay, going back to my first illustration, you're climbing it, 
You, you want, you're determined. I want to increase. I want to experience more of Jesus. As you do this, as you keep climbing this mountain, what's gonna happen is grace is gonna be multiplied in your life. You're gonna have unusual power to communicate the gospel in a way that you don't feel naturally you can do. And the second thing, you're gonna have unusual sustaining peace in your life in the most horrific situations. In the most challenging situations, whether it's a wayward child or raising your kids or uh, boss, you know, you lost your job, whatever the circumstance might be, you're going to have that peace. But he also says that you're going to have his life. His life is going to be produced in you. It happens. It's a byproduct of you being passionate of continuing to climb in your relationship with Jesus. Um, I, I want to say this as well. Referring to, it's referring to the supernatural life that Jesus has given us. Um, it, the illustration that comes to my mind is Mephibosheth. Um, he is the, the grandson of Saul. A lot of you all might remember that. Um, he is the uh, Jonathan and David. Whenever David was a young man, uh, God had anointed David to, to be the next king of the nation of Israel. And Jonathan recognized that, and he made a covenant, a relationship with him. He says, listen, I know that you're going to be the next guy. I just want you to take care of me and take care of my family. And David said, absolutely, I'll take care of you all the way. Well, as things progressed, Jonathan lost his life in a battle, and so did his, his father Saul, which meant now King David is stepping on the scene. He is the next king. It's a great illustration of what Peter's talking about here. So David becomes the king, and usually what happens is when a new king takes place, he goes and kills everybody in the nation, Every, everybody in the nation, everyone in, the, in his lineage to the actual king, the previous king, just to secure his own kingship. But Mephibosheth, this is what happened with David. David remembered that commitment he made to Jonathan. He said, hey, 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 guys, I, did, didn't Jonathan have some kids? Is it? Didn't he have some kids? And his, and his, his uh, servants were like, yeah, actually, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he lives in Lodabar, which means ain't nothing in the land to eat, all right? He's, got, he's living in a poverty-stricken life. He's nothing to eat in the town. And, it mean, and he says, he's in Lodabar, but he's lame on both of his feet. He's, you know, he's just in a bad shape. And David says this, bring him to me. Bring him to me, because he is the son of a king. He's the son of a king. And so, and he continued to the story. This is, I got this from John Phillips, uh, ex- exploring the Bible. Listen to what, how he connects the dots here. It says, But Mephibosheth did not have all of the resources to maintain himself in a manner that, that, was, that commemorates or is found, newfound dignity as a rank of a child of the king. So David restored to him all of the land. Get him out of that town of Lodabar. Well, he, can't, he can't survive. He can't live the life that he's destined to live. He says, get him out of that. And I want to restore unto him all the land that once belonged to his grandfather, Saul. What? That's unusual. Why would he do that? In other words, David gave him all that he needed so that he could live his new life as one of the king's sons. In like manner... Just in case you're a little kind of wondering where this all connects to. In like manner, when we respond to the gospel invitation, when you trusted Jesus and you asked Christ to come into your life, this is what happened. The Lord puts us into the royal family of heaven. And he and we become his sons and daughters as of the living God and members of his universe. And he's members of universal family, okay? He's a massive God. In other words, they say it this way. Everything that, because I mean, we, we, we're the son of a king, God. We're God's children. How could we live our lives like God's children? We don't even know what we're doing. How can we do this? How can we live more godly lives? 
And this is what Peter's saying. You don't have to. God is going to, he has given you all that you need, all of the things that you need so that you can live out his life. And by the way, what did Jesus say when he was getting ready to pass away? He was getting ready to go to heaven. He says, it's better for you that I go to heaven than for me to stay here because when I go, I'm gonna send someone into your life and he's gonna remain you. He's gonna give you all that you need so you can live the life that I wanna live through you. That's what he said. So essentially, you have all, tap your neighbor and say, I got all that I need. Say it, I got all that I need. That's right. Now, you do. You have everything that you need in Jesus. Now, how does that translate into, into real life? Well, um, Chris, you don't have probably, there's probably areas of your life you probably think, I don't have a lot of patience. I don't have a lot of, um, you know, uh, self-control. I don't have a lot of whatever. You go through the list. Um, and everybody, do the same thing. You think you don't have a lot of things, but what I want to show you that Peter's saying is when you grow in your awareness of Jesus, it produces something. You, you're going to see Jesus' attributes and his personality and who he is is going to become very relevant and you're going to notice it a lot more only when you grow in your awareness of Jesus. Now, let me continue with this thought. Um, go back into our passage. It says not only does it, it pertains to all things to life or Jesus' life, but it also says it pertains onto his godliness. Now, when you read further in the passage, it's, we'll keep going in the text, verse 3. It says it pertains in life and godliness through the knowledge of him, this emphasis of growing in your awareness of Jesus, so that, sorry, that hath called us to glory and virtue. That those two words have everything to do with godliness, Peter is saying godliness equals, you know, basically grace. Well, read the passage. I'm mixed up here. Godliness equals glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. Bottom line is um, God's attributes of glory and virtue are going to be manifest in your life as you increase in the knowledge of Jesus. Let me help you with this illustration. I, I'm all about the illustration. How many of you guys like to drink tea? Anybody like to drink tea? All right, I bought my wife a, uh, um, a tea kit not too long ago. I think it was on Christmas. And the reason why is because I started noticing a pattern. We like to talk about what God's doing in our lives and our hearts, especially in this season of life that we're in. And we share, we try to regularly share what God's doing in our hearts together. So she can pray for me, I can pray for her. And it's very important for us to be vulnerable and transparent with each other. Well, we started drinking tea together and we call it our tea time. I know it's kind of, I checked my man card out the door. I understand I did that. But um, I, 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 the reason, this tea, th- I'm learning a lot about tea, okay, um, as I'm drinking a lot of tea now. And there's something called a steeping process that I didn't know about until I started drinking tea. The steeping process is when you put the tea into this, this little mechanism here, um, what happens is um, you pour hot water in it and you let it steep. And I'm, I want to show you that the steeping process of tea is a lot like the steeping process in our lives with Jesus. Let me show you this next part of the verse. And this is the, the linchpin to the whole thing. If you've checked out, check back in. Because this is how Peter says, it, how to increase in your awareness of Jesus. How do you extract the quality of Jesus in your life? How, if he's in me. And you believe that, all the things, oh, that's such a cute little phrase, all that is, that is in Jesus is in me. 
If it's truly there, how do, does he come out? How do I extract his glory and his love and his compassion? Because every time I look around, I'm angry a lot when I drive. Or I don't know how to deal with my kids. Or I don't know how to emphasize ministry to these people when I'm preaching the gospel. How do I do it? How do you extract Christ from your life? It's through the steeping of his promises. Let me show you this. Um, verse number four says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding, You can use exceedingly great and exceedingly precious promises. Circle that word promises. Peter is giving you the clue. How do you extract Jesus from your life? You've got to learn how to steep in God's promises. That's why I did this. You see, the steeping process is designed over time as you let the hot water you know, basically this, the tea be absorbed and soaked in this hot water. It's extracting the flavor from the tea. That's what's happening. The steeping process is extracting the flavor from the tea. So that way, when you drink the tea, mm, it tastes good. That's what happens. Everything about this. Now, you don't, you, don't, you don't drink tea just because of the steeping process. You drink tea because of the, the, just the desire, the savoring component of the tea. See, here's what I want to show you is this. When you're, when you're steeping in the promises of God, and what I mean by steeping in the promises, I mean you spend time and you carve out time where it is a time where you and the Lord are alone, not distracted, and I'm not talking about memorizing scripture here. I'm not talking about just reading through the Bible or reading through a text. I'm talking intentionally slowing down, it, whether it's at night, in the morning, whenever it is, you sit down with your Bible and you say, God, I want, I want to know you more. I want to increase in my awareness of you because I know that you said all that I need has already been given to me. I, need, I know that. So God, help me to experience it. I want you to extract it from me. So you open God's word and you begin to read his promises. And what, what happens is there's, there's something that the Spirit of God begins to do in your soul that you cannot manipulate and you cannot make happen. He does a work in you, and what he's doing is he's extracting from God's words and extracting from you the Holy Spirit who's already in you. It's coming out. And what's happening is, have you ever been there when you're reading God's word and you're just, you know, I was having a conversation with someone today in the, uh, coming back from church and I was telling them, man, I can't, I can't read the Bible and just sit there. Like I, I read something in the Bible, like I was reading Matthew this week and it talked about how Jesus said that um, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, baby, I want that. I want to experience that. It's not there just for me to read casually and pass by. God is saying God is going to do great and mighty things through his people, advancing the gospel. And when you're reading that, and by the way, that's a promise. But when you're reading that, something happens in your soul. It's It's a steeping. The Holy Spirit is beginning to steep in your soul and extract these qualities. And and you know what? You will never, ever, ever increase in your awareness of Jesus unless you're steeping in his promises. Does that make sense? It's never gonna happen because, and we, we all have been there, oh, I'm gonna read God's word more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a checklist and I'm gonna check it off. Okay, I read the day one, I read day two, I read day three. Oh, I'm gonna fast once a week. Oh, better yet, I'm gonna serve in four ministries. 
No, no, no. Those things don't work. That's called manipulation. The only way it happens is when we choose to steep in God's words, God's promises. It's powerful because that's, the, that's in essence what Peter is saying here. And I'll, I'll even go so far as, do me a favor. How many of you guys are taking notes? Say amen. All right, write this down. Write this down. Right. Steeping, all right, write the word steeping. Draw an arrow downwards next to that word or under the word. Steeping will lead, lead you to this idea of craving. Steeping leads to craving. In other words, you steep in God's word, you're going to want to experience this stuff. I can't sit still. They're going to think I got ADD. No, 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 no. We just know you've been steeping, man. That's what's happening. So steeping leads to craving, and then craving leads to experiencing. When you experience this stuff, I'm climbing the top of the mountain. I get to the top of the mountain, and I look, and I'm awestruck. So the only thing I can do is fall on my knees and just declare, the Lord, he is God. He is God. No one like him. And church, that's what Peter is telling us. Chris, that's what he's telling you. If you want to to have experience the power of God in your life and in your ministry, it's only going to happen when you steep in God's word. By the way, if you want to experience God's peace, you have to steep. You have to steep in it, man. It's not going to happen. Or if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you got to steep. If you want to experience the the peace, all of these things, it's all going to happen when you steep in God's words. So here's my point. Never stop steeping. Never stop steeping. 